this. Let's dive in. Welcome to Trust the Journey. I'm Melanie Curtis. And I'm Jason Maledsky. Our mission is to live, laugh, love, and learn together with you. We're here to create conscious connections, to grow and contribute through our practice of openness, honesty, vulnerability, humility, and trust. Trusting the entire journey. On the internet, family, we are at trustthejourney.today. That's our website. That's our Instagram. If you get anything of value out of our shows, we encourage you to, you know, comment, like, share, subscribe, all the things that help us get the show to more people and hopefully help more people as a result. If you would like to join us to expand the dialogue, you can join the Trust the Journey family. And that is where we expand the conversation, like I said, and you can donate on Patreon. Any amount will get you in there. I would also very happy to add that we are recently on Spotify as well. I'd like to thank Kimberly Joy Voice, our new editor, for getting us up on Spotify. And if you need any help with your podcast editing, you can reach out to her at KimberlyJoyVoice at gmail.com and she'll be happy to help you out. And Maybe she gets you on Spotify too. (laughs) Maybe she'll get you on Spotify too. I love it. I love it. Well, right on everyone. Thank you so much as always for being with us. Let's let's dive into this thing. Today we are doing an interesting episode. I'm excited about this and nervous if I'm being totally honest. But we, Jay and I both recently did a three-day ayahuasca ceremony, not together, but uh, near the same time. And, and he proposed that we share some of the insights that we got from that on this this show. And Jay, I would love to invite you to begin if you don't mind, only because, yeah, I just, that's what felt right to me. Sure. Uh, so I'll bring the audience up to speed first. Um, both Mel and I have been engaging in plant medicine for some years now i think each of us on a somewhat similar timeline of of a few years of our lives uh personally i've been attending at least one three-day ceremony each year for the last four five years now i think it's four and a half years and I have been primarily using two medicines. One is ayahuasca, and that is a plant medicine, which is a derivative of the Peruvian Amazon, uh, which many of you may have heard of before. It's uh, an ancient medicine that's been around for a very long time, used by the tribal people there. And the other medicine that I use is psilocybin. And the most recent journey being ayahuasca, and it's a very... It's a very, very powerful medicine. If anybody in this audience has used it before, been engaged in any of this healing work, you're well familiar with how much of a commitment it is, both mentally and physically, to commit to the journey that it's going to take us on. And I'd like to share, I mean, of course, anything that I have to say here today this is personal opinion, right? I'm not a medical doctor. I can't offer medical advice. I'm not a lawyer. I can't offer legal advice. And I'm not a finance accountant. I can't tell you what to invest in. But I personally choose to invest myself into the plant medicines because they have 
had overwhelmingly powerful results as far as my own personal growth in my life. And I'll share my opinion about how they actually work. And of course, I'm not backing this up with science. I'm sharing with this is what I've happened has happened to me. And this is how I felt about it. And this is what yeah. I see happening. Yeah. As Tim Ferriss always yeah. says, it's this is for informational purposes only. We absolutely do not condone anything illegal. And we encourage people to do their own research and can learn from professionals themselves. Absolutely. So this is this three day ceremony, which I attended a few weeks ago now was my fifth time sitting down with the medicine. As far as uh, the number of times I've gone each time, I usually go for a three day round. Um, and I'll put the set and setting in place for those of you who are listening. First of all, the the group is about 10 to 15 people. It's on a, a private property that's uh, very quiet and often natural setting. And we have a large communal space, a very big room that's very quiet. And everybody sets up a little nest where we can be comfortable. And you've got some bedding, some pillows, some blankets, a little bucket in case you're not feeling well and you need to spit something out, some tissue paper, some a little bit of water and anything you might need to be there for say six or seven hours. And the way that the ceremony proceeds is the shaman who in my situation is a Shipibo trained traditional shaman and tabaquera, somebody who's trained in the use of uh, highly potent Peruvian tobacco. He sets the setting and creates a safe container for everybody and everybody promises and commits to staying in the space for the entire time, uh, no matter how hard it might get for them. And so we create this space that everybody is going to hold uh, equally. And we we know that when we join into it, what's going to take place is that we're going to basically dig into our own closets. We're going to look and see what are the skeletons that we've got? What are the things that we need to um, think about in order to heal them? So that's the, that's the, the overview at all. It's like, okay, I'm going to take some medicine. I'm going to have a trusted guide here. The trusted guide is going to make sure that the space is safe and that I'm cared for. And then even if I'm having a very hard time understanding what's going on, they're going to make sure that I'm, I'm taken care of. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to engage in the areas that are of need for me. Mm -hmm. um, I echo that description of Jay's. Yeah. yeah. Safe space, trusted facilitators. Uh, yeah. Intentions being set for, your time with the medicine for your time in the three-day experience because yeah it can be extremely difficult such that it would make sense that our egos would want to escape that that struggle and that rigor the physical rigor and the emotional rigor and so yeah the commitment and the intention to see it through to the end of the three days i think is really critical and feeling very safely held with your facilitators and coaches throughout the experience. You know, as soon as you say that, see it through part, I'm like, oh yeah, after the second day, every single time, I'm almost always like, I'm done. I don't need it anymore. <laughs> yeah. 
right? And, and pretty much I everybody I talk to says the oh, same thing. They're like, God. end of day two, we're like, I can go home now. I've, I've learned enough. Oh my Thank God. you. I feel like I just laid down and drooled on the third day. I was so tired, you know, because <sighs> you work hard. It depends actually, really. But I did hard work this time and that's, I'll expand on that. But like by the third day, I think, I think the medicine really was ready to just let me sort of rest a little bit. So it was, I got something sort of good and big at the beginning of the three of the third day. And then the rest of that ceremony was really quite restful for me, which was exactly what I needed after the first two days of, of real rigor. That's great. One of the things I see as being a common trend is that the medicine always provides you whatever it is that you ask of it. It's a this experience is not per se the medicine that we're used to with like, okay, I have a headache, I take some Tylenol, the Tylenol makes my headache go away because there's a chemical reaction that occurs that eases the pressure or drops the temperature or the blood flow or whatever. It's a little bit different. We're working with an intelligent entity. And this intelligent entity is really our maker. And this again, this is my opinion, but I'm not afraid to say that the alien intelligence that we are working with in these scenarios is one that is responsible for the whole reason that we're here. Mm. And it's a tricky, terrifying concept to be like, I'm going to talk to God. Well, Yeah. yeah, yes. In some way, that's what I believe is going on. And it doesn't at all feel like anything I expected from all the upbringing that I had with what I expected God or spirituality or anything like that to look like or feel like or resemble itself as it resembles itself very differently. But the overlying essence is one of love. And to me, that's the key resonant frequency that that brings it all together, that God is a loving God. And this medicine, this mother or grandmother that it's often referred to as by the traditional peoples is one of love and it's there to nurture and care for us and help us find our way through this oh so confusing journey called life. (laughs) You're right. Yeah. I mean, do you want to share, start to share more what occurred for you this three day? Yeah, absolutely. And so I'll, I kind of, almost every time I come away with like a key single word, that is the way that I could encapsulate the description of each night. And so the, my first night was based around the concept of acceptance. And let me tell you what acceptance is a son of a bitch. (laughs) There's not much fun about acceptance, um, but it's a beautiful thing that has to happen at some point for all of us. Uh, So acceptance was the first one. Uh, The second night was going deeper, like diving in to the topics that were presented to me on the first night. You know, the uh, the first night seemed to be this list of like, here's all the things you need to work on. Accept this. These are the areas. And the second night was like really spending time processing each one of these areas, diving into them. And the third night was very simply based on a single word, which is healing. Mm-hmm. First, I have to recognize what the issues are. Second, I need to spend time diving into developing, understanding, relating to, coming to understand and work with the ideas. And lastly, 
allowing the healing to occur that is necessary in each of these areas. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because in my experience, in so this is my second three day ever. Uh, my first three day was a year and a half ago, maybe. Yeah, like something like that. Um, I would have done it sooner, but because of COVID, I I didn't. Um, so anyway, it was time to to do it now. But the to me, it feels at least in the two times again. See, no expert here, <laughs> so please take my stories as simply genuinely personal sharing, uh, not advice. But for me, it feels like what I get. It, it all sh- comes together, it feels like, on the third day, but also in the processing of what I get and seeing how what I got on day one connects to how I got on what I got on day two, which connects to what I got on day three, which connects wholly to what I needed to get from the three day. You know what I mean? Like it, it really feels to me like I might be like, mm, day one, that was good. I got some good stuff, you know, <laughs> but it's not like for me, I feel again in my two experiences, it's not like I felt, oh my God, my whole world is changed on day one. That hasn't happened for me. It's more like I got some, some good stuff. And then day two, both times for me was absolutely bar none the most powerful. And then day three is some some stuff that ties it together that makes me go, oh, okay, cool. Another interesting thing for me about this particular three-day as well is that, and this is reflected in my first one also, is I did a lot of detailed work with cumulative incidents and I'll, I'll expand on what I mean, while in between ceremony. So we're for the way that I do it, we do a vow of silence where we do not speak to anyone else. We do not make eye contact. There's no talking or connecting with any other human beings other than your coach. It's meant to be a space for really doing the quote unquote work for yourself. And so every day I would go, to the hammock and take my journal and really just write down and expand on what was coming up for me. And one of the things that's been important for me is bringing intentions into these ceremonies. So my intentions this time, I actually was, I almost was worried about them not being like, quote unquote, deep enough, but I knew I felt intuitively called to these intentions. And so I, I said, you know what, I'm going to trust myself. I'm going to bring them. And my intentions were these. First, I wanted to look at my relationship with food and my relationship with hunger. So like the, the feeling of hunger and how that relates to just my food choices and how I tend to struggle with that. I kind of wax and wane on eating really well. And then I eat really terribly. I just have have this kind of chaotic relationship with food. I wanted to learn more about that. So there's that. And then the other thing was, and I've talked about this on the show before, but I, this call, my calling to dance and specifically I wanted to 
open up my hips. Like I was like, my, my hips don't necessarily feel in pain or locked or anything like that, but they, they don't feel free either. And so I was like, I'm sure that will, well, I'm not sure, but I would, I guessed that something would be there, you know, that I would look and, and I won't, there's certain parts of my ceremony that I will not share on the podcast, even, even though this is a totally safe space because it is very personal stuff. I'll happily share sort of some broad strokes about some of the things that I got, but some of the stuff I'm still working on. And so for me, I believe deeply that you do that sort of on your on your own in your safe spaces. And then when I really do feel clear and ready to share more details, I will. Um, yeah. And just specifically what that means is I did a lot of work in the sexual realm, which I don't want to share in detail on the podcast yet. Maybe I will down the line. Um, but it was really good work, but it makes sense, right? And I'm not a person who knows much about the chakras and this and that, but the root chakra of your hips and your, and your, you know, your private area is a place where I did a lot of work and it was definitely clearly connected to my opening up of the hips. And that was, I mean, I don't really know what even to say about it, but it was good work. It was powerful work. Um, but I have more to share that I can share in detail about, but uh, I wanted to just say that because it's important, I think, for people to know that sharing for me is a huge part of it. And so for me to feel safe to share with my coaches all kinds of details from my life has was also a critical part of the healing. But I only sourced all those things to share in between ceremony, laying in the hammock, really writing stuff down in my journal and really contemplating, really meditating on the things that the medicine gave me. Excellent. Yeah. I have the, a very similar experience with, uh, the need to capture the, all the details of it because there's so much, there's so much, there's so much. I mean, if you try and think about our own minds as a, you know, uh, a hard drive or a microprocessor that's like thinking all the things that we thinking and remembering all the things that ever happened to us and running all the systems automated or not, all that stuff takes up just so much memory. It takes up so much space and time that as an insight appears, you could very easily just lose it yeah. and it's gone. Yeah. Just like we have a thought and we're in the middle of talking about it. We forget what we're talking about. We have that same thing happening the medicine where you're onto a subject which needs your attention and you know it needs your attention and there's so many others that also need your attention you could very easily be distracted especially when it's a big topic because the ego does not like talking about the things that it does not like to talk about <laughs> so true right? so true if i've had some you know hard occurrences in my life that i buried early on because they were too hard to deal with uh, no part of my ego wants to dig those up and talk about them. Totally. That's not going to be a fun thing to do. So I'm very easily going to take the distraction of, oh, yeah, you know what I love? Ice cream. Oh, man, I'm <laughs> ice cream right now. And and going off on these tangents about the things that, and you know, where mine go, I think about beautiful women. Mm. I think about women that I'm in love with. I think about women that have fulfilled such huge parts of my life. And when I catch myself daydreaming in the medicine about mm -hmm. a, a somebody that I love, I go, wait a second. I'm not thinking about me right now. 
I'm thinking about somebody else. If I'm thinking about somebody else, I'm thinking about the wrong thing. I should be thinking about me Mm -hmm. right now. And so there's a, uh, an acronym that I was given a while back, which is called RAIN. It's a recognize, appreciate, investigate, and nurture or non-attachment. And this acronym has worked so well for me inside of the psychedelic experience where what often happens is things appear like bubbles in a carbonated drink. They just come out of nowhere, mm-hmm. right? Out of, no, out of the ether, suddenly a bubble rises. And that bubble has a topic in it. And it might be something that I've had happen to me. It might be something I'm unaware of. Some, some topic occurs in my consciousness. And I'm able to see it. So first thing is recognize that that topic is being presented to myself. Number two, the I is investigate and go, wait a second. Why why am I suddenly thinking about my blue bicycle from when I was a kid? You know, why did that blue bicycle become important to me? Mm -hmm. And then say, thank you. Appreciate. Ah, Okay, cool. I caught on that there's something related to this point early in my life that has to do with my blue bicycle that. I need to dig into more. And so then I nourish it and I go, okay, I'm not going to think about the pretty girl that I'm interested in. I'm not (laughs) going to think about the big project that, man, my work projects could easily take over my whole ceremony if I let work try to be the main thing. Oh my God, so much could take over ceremony if we let it. Yeah. So we have to- the practice of like shutting down all these distractive thoughts mm-hmm. and going back to why is my blue bike important to me right now? Mm-hmm. Like why of all the days of my life did my blue bike suddenly appear in my consciousness mm-hmm. when I haven't thought about my blue bike in 10 years, you know, I'm a grown man. I haven't had that blue bike since I was six years old. And wait a second, did my dad give me that bike? And what happened around that bike? And then there's this whole backstory. And the big piece that nourishes as I dig into a topic and I start to relate to whatever the pain points or whatever the hurts are, whatever the key things that need to be nourished are, I also have to remember not to attach to it and not to let it become this whole big thing. Right. And, and just become all like my whole night about that. (laughs) Right. Because we can easily do the same thing about that one topic Mm -hmm. as I could to distracting myself upon the work project that I'm super excited to, you know, become a high achiever on. Mm -hmm. So, uh, if I kind of rally that around my most recent experience, acceptance of, I got presented all these ideas. I make a list of them all the first night afterwards, I, I reiterate ideas throughout the night. I say, okay, I need to write it down. I need to write this down. I need to write this down. What does that again? I can make a note to myself mentally. And I keep track of all those things. <laughs> yeah. And then as, as I come out of ceremony, I'll go to my phone. I use my phone for my note taking because my handwriting is illegible. <laughs> and I, I write everything down or, or I speak it into my phone and I dictate it into text. And then I track it all. And then in the second night, as I come back to it, I'm going to do the same thing with representing those ideas to myself and diving into them deeper. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, the, I used to think that there's this, you know, one big thing that's going to come up and it's going to be 
a big answer. You know what I mean? And honestly, when the insights come, they are big answers, but they're not typically, at least for me, again, my limited experience, they haven't typically been big experiences. They've been almost little t trauma experiences that then accumulate because a patterned way of being manifests. So for example, my first day, uh, I don't even, I mean, I wrote notes. I'm sure I could come up with some, some details, but I was sort of struggling I, you know, to kind of get something, I was feeling sick, but I couldn't quite purge. And that's definitely something about ayahuasca. There's this very spiritual feeling, this very powerful relationship with physically purging, physically throwing up, vomiting, and certainly purging in other ways. But in, in this instance, I was kind of struggling and my facilitators came over and offered me hape to help me, uh, to help me. It, it like helps vibrate your body and it helps you really, it elevates the medicine in that moment, which I had never experienced that before. Uh, and I was afraid. And I said that, I said that to my, my, people. I said, you know, I'm afraid, you know, but I wanted, I trust them. I trust the space. I trust the medicine. And so I did the hape and it, the first day, what it really, it immediately helped me purge. And for me, my purging this time around was so sometimes I'll walk away from ceremony and be like, this is my insight and this is what I will integrate in the language that the medicine gives it to me. It's giving me uh, a word and I'm going to integrate that into my life, like say patience or make healthy choices or slow down. So those are active insights that I've gotten from previous ceremonies that direct me to do something differently. This time around, it was almost like the medicine was telling me that it was telling me what I was getting rid of, like what she was like helping me get out of my body so that I could heal. So this first night connected to my intention of hunger, I basically, I as I purged, powerfully purged on day one, it basically told me it's, it was a lifetime of holding it all together. So it was like, no wonder I'm fucking hungry. You know what I mean? So it was like, you have spent a lifetime of sort of just holding it together in all the different ways. And so that's then a directive of, okay, great. What does holding it all together then look like? Then starting to do insightful work around, okay, you got this really powerful insight. Now, what does that actually mean such that I can then translate that into an integrative takeaway from this three-day? But that's only just one thing. That was day one. And then day two, similarly, was struggling with the medicine again, was getting stuff. I was going down. I was seeing memories, a million different memories, different things. I was, I was 
pretty doing an okay job with the distractive thoughts and trying to go down re- the rabbit holes that I, you know, in the waking, like in the, my waking days would not want to go down. So, <laughs> you know, so I was like doing that. I, you know, so that was good. Um, but I was still sort of struggling with the, with the purge. Like I, I was, I was just couldn't quite get, get it, get there. And I was offered the hape again. And because it was so powerful and useful and helpful the night before, I, my, they, my first immediate response was no. Like, cause I was so already exhausted. And as my facilitator was walking away, I was like, wait, like it went, and it was just sort of in my intuition. This was not something I was thinking of. I was like, wait, she comes over and she's like, ask your heart. Like, do you, do you want this? Do you need this medicine or not? Ask your heart. And I, I probably waited like, I mean, who knows, but 30 seconds, a long time for a, a re- reply to a co- to a question. And I said, yes. And I'm so glad that I did because that purge was to me felt like the first time that I really ever like met ayahuasca, if that makes sense. Even though I had done four other ceremonies before, and it was the first time where it was like, oh, oh, that's you. You know, oh, oh, this is a, you're, there's something here with me that's helping me. So anyway, as I purge, and this is connected to a lot of the stories and, and cumulative experiences in my life, but basically what I purged, I, I purged every single time I was silent. So like I purged being silent as in places where I didn't speak up for myself, places where I did not advocate for myself, places where I knew I didn't want to do something and I did it anyway. Like lots of, so many of those times, it's not like all those memories were there for me in the purge, but it was very, very clear that that's what I was puking. And the interesting thing, and this is where I'll wrap up and I want to go back to you, but the interesting thing about that is that I really wasn't even eating much. Like the irony of being with the hunger and and whatnot, I just wasn't that hungry. I was eating and eating my food and stuff, but not a lot. And it was, it's amazing to me how much comes out of your body when nothing seems to be in there. So I would love to pick it up right Please there. Go. I'm done. Okay. So I would like to talk about the whole concept of purging. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that this is viewed in the typical Western lens through the typical Western lens is puking or throwing up. And I don't see that as what's happening at all. Uh, the reason being is that we fast for a period of time before we take the medicine. So our stomachs are empty. Mm -hmm. There is no food in our stomach. So most of the time when we throw up, we've eaten something or ingested something that causes a reaction within our system. And the system's like, no, get that out of here. And that, in my opinion, is not what's happening. Mm -hmm. What I believe is happening is this, and this is why there can be mass quantities of 
uh, projectile, like things can come out of your body in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. So let me clarify what the purge is. I believe the purge is this. Our bodies are mostly water. We're 90% water. Every single cell in our body and our body is made up of cells. That is its entire makeup is cells. Every cell has a membrane around it. Those membranes are permeable. Water can travel in and water can travel out and things can travel in and out of the cells with the water as it comes in and out of those cells. When we're hydrated, the cells are flush and full. When we're dehydrated, they're limp and they're hard. They're getting more and more stiff. They are less flexible. So the way that I see a purge working is this. Anytime our cells are squeezing, it's like wetting a sponge and wringing out the sponge. Every time you squeeze the sponge, a bunch of water goes out of the sponge, but so does a bunch of dirt, mm-hmm. right? Like you wipe something with a sponge, it collects dirt, you use the water to wring it out and clean it. But the sponge doesn't get perfectly clean every time, it gets dirty. And the way that our system works, our bio computer that we call a body is, it's a water-based computer and every single cell has a job of memorizing things to do and having jobs to do and they take in experiences Mm -hmm. and they put out experiences and these are memories these are things that happen to them when we get a bruise our body is showing that there's been a damage that occurred and there's the you know visibly identifiable damage whether it's a bruise or a scar or a wound those same kinds of injuries happen emotionally as well as physically and our body keeps track of them and it's in our cells, literally. So to me, the concept of purging and what I see going on through my experience is our the medicine is going inside of our body and it's going to the different parts of our body that are holding on to traumas and it's literally flushing them from our cells in whatever way it needs to go out. So that can be through sweating. It could be through spitting, which happens quite a lot. It can be through tears. It can be through vomiting. It can be through uh, excreting through pooping or urinating. Uh, I've had my armpits suddenly become really yucky. I had the most, this past ceremony, I had a deep thought. I was digging into something that was very important for me. And suddenly the bottoms of my feet got really clammy and sticky. And I had to dig in to get wet wipes out and like clean the bottom of my feet off because I could tell that the arches of my feet were excreting something yucky that needed to, I needed to get off of me. So this idea of purging is very different from the idea of throwing up. Mm-hmm, Although absolutely. at some time, it may take the form of vomiting and why there can be so much liquid if I haven't had a drink of water in three hours and I haven't had any food in six or eight hours, why can there be so much stuff coming out is because the what our body's doing is reaching into the parts of us that have been storing the memory and using the water in our body to carry it out to whatever system can then remove it from ourselves. Yeah. Water is your friend. That was a mantra for me, for sure, the whole time, really just helping me cleanse, helping me flush stuff out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The other thing I want to say about the purging is, uh, so I personally, I mean, this is my 13th ceremony and I've only vomited one time out of all those ceremonies. Wow, that's amazing. And I have one time where I felt like I might need to, 
but I've spent lots of time, like lots of tears, mm-hmm, lots too. of spitting, lots mm-hmm. of sweating, lots of going to the toilet, you know? And so it always just takes whatever form it needs to take, depending on where it is in our bodies and how it needs to get out of us. Yeah, cool. Is there anything, uh, you know, more specific that you would like to share? Yeah, I have a whole list here. Oh my gosh, my phone is full of stuff. Um, I mean, we're going to run out of time. No question about it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's good because I certainly wouldn't want to be able to cover a lifetime's worth of stuff in a one hour episode. You know, exactly right. Uh, I come away with always with a list of people that I need to talk to. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are these awarenesses of relationships that are key in my life that are maybe on hold or unattended or need further nurturing. So I always end up with a list of people that I then reach out to after ceremony and say, Hey, we haven't talked in a while, or, Hey, I wanted to apologize or, Hey, this was wrong. You know, those types of things always come to the surface for me. And I always end up with key insights that are, around areas that I need to move towards in my life and things that are, you know, this is the direction that I should be going in. And these are every single time. And I try to pay close attention to them because they do keep me on what I would say is the typical, my path. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those occur every time. Now I'm going to share a specific one here, which is one of these, like an an insight to self Fear is the root cause of all of my pain. Mm. Now, this is an insight that's come after, like I said, like 13 ceremonies now and a lifetime of being closely related to fear and deeply examining fear through skydiving and base jumping and, you know, adventure athletes and mountaineering and surfing and all the different things where death has been like right there so much of the time. And then truly, you know, embracing death and embracing fear, but still not doing so at all. Mm. Still completely avoiding areas of fear that are so, so key to why I'm struggling in the areas where I'm struggling. And this insight that fear is the cause of all my pain leads me to one that I've always been aware of, which has come from a, a previous ceremony, which is. Whenever you recognize a fear, go straight towards it. You know, if a fee, if something is scary, it's the reason I'm feeling scared. There's going to be one or two reasons. One is I'm about to be eaten or harmed by another creature or nature, right? Like something is physically endangering me. Or two, I'm scared about how I'm going to feel. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. I don't like the way that I think I'm going to feel about something. And so I hide from it or I remove myself from it. Absolutely. Totally normal. Yeah. So those ones, that second one, those are the ones that I have to go, aha, I'm feeling fear, meaning I'm avoiding, meaning I don't want to feel this, meaning I need to go investigate it. I need to appreciate it and I need to not be attached to it. And I need to give it love and nurture and say, this is the part of me that needs attention. This is the part of me that I need to put more energy into and I need to develop. If it's another one, if a saber tooth tiger is going to eat me, I need to run, mm-hmm. make sure I don't get eaten. Then you need to recognize the difference between yep. those two kinds of fear. Oh, and I love that you just said that because that was also part of my integration. Again, waking, walking around post day two, being like, okay, what does being silent look like? 
What has that looked like? And then going through a catalog of memories and going, okay, just really trying to get a clear picture of when was I silent and caused myself pain or harm? And when was I not silent and felt fulfilled and empowered and and better as a result of honoring myself? And then of recognizing a fear of, I don't know if I can tell the difference and, and really we're feeling worry around that in my contemplation of these things going. And then basically the medicine stays in your system. So like, that's why it can have an escalating effect is you might need less in the day, third day or second day. But, um, I feel like, you know, I'm still kind of chatting with the medicine and it's like, you know, the difference, you know, just sort of like reassurances like that come through for me too. Like, you know the difference. And then I have to, if, I, if I'm if i honest with myself, I'm like, yeah, I really do know the difference. And so it's like, okay, what does that, when it, what does it feel like in my body when I am in a scenario, when I know this is a time for me not to be silent? Okay. I'm going to feel maybe a tightness in my chest. I'm going to feel heat rise in my cheeks. I'm going to feel my head tighten. I'm going to th- feel fucking for sure, feel my throat close. You know, those are physical manifestations of fear that silence me. It's interesting that my throat closing is one of the key manifestations physically, which is very much connected to my voice and being heard. And anyway, I want to hear more from you, but I have another story that comes from day three that will tie into this stuff. But please, I want to talk about exactly what you just touched on right there, because that um, that relationship between the physical body and the mind was one of the key takeaways that I got as well. And I have a note for myself that says, what is my body telling me? With a question mark. And it's in exactly the same relationship that you're referring to is, oh, I feel a tightening of my chest. Oh, I'm feeling an anxiousness. Oh, I'm feeling my physical body's giving me some kind of an indication that something is happening and I'm feeling a certain way. And what I learned in this most recent set of ceremonies is, okay, I would be in a very neutral plane. I'd be in this kind of like, I am the universe kind of space and just observing self. And there's not really any key topic of conversation, but ideas are floating around. And all of a sudden an idea floats by and I get a physical reaction to it. And I would feel my stomach tighten or I'd feel myself get restless and my feet start kicking. And I go, wait a second. Why did my body just move when five seconds ago, I was laying here completely comfortably in a totally, there's no reason why I needed to have a physical reaction. There's nothing touched me, nothing changed, but I had a thought about an idea and that idea triggered a physical response of pain, of distress, of something. I say my body is carrying the indication over to this realm to say what's happening in your psyche is being reflected in your physical body here. Now learn to pay attention when you feel this restlessness, when you start Mm -hmm. kicking your feet in bed for no reason, it's not because you're uncomfortable in the bed. It's because you're avoiding thinking about something that needs thinking about Mm -hmm. that's in your subconscious. Yeah. I love it. One of my favorite quotes, if you are trying not to think about it, it's time to heal it. Absolutely. You know, and that's, I think for me, one of the things that at least in, uh, in learning how to be in an experience like this at all. Cause damn, I mean, you've, you've been with me since my beginning of, of even contemplating, even 
doing ayahuasca. Remember episode 11, <laughs> where I asked you a bunch of, bunch of questions because I was years into my own research and my own listening and learning around, do I want to lean into this modality of healing because I feel like I need it? I feel like I could use help getting into the dark unseen corners of my psyche that I cannot reach through all of the other efforts I've made. And I've made a lot of efforts. I am a very growth-minded, very intentional, willing, brave person as it relates to my own emotional healing. I can absolutely acknowledge myself for that because I know all the work that I've done. And still with all of that, I really felt like I needed help accessing things I couldn't access through through those modalities. And so anyway, I feel like it was so scary for me at first to even think about doing it and the surrender that is required and the what is going to happen, the total unknown of the experience of communing with this medicine. Now, only now, do I feel like... I'm not as afraid of it. I, trust me, I'm still afraid because I'm afraid of what I'm going to feel. I'm afraid of all of the things are still there, but I'm not as afraid of feeling those things. I'm not as afraid of finding something because as you said earlier, not getting attached to something that you find. You find something. Cool. Okay, you're thinking this cool, look at it. Like that before was very scary to me. Whereas now I'm like, oh, I'm thinking of something. Let me just, let me look at that. doesn't have to mean anything. It doesn't have, I don't have to do anything if I don't want to. I can still make whatever choices I want to make relative to my integration. So there's that safety and allowing and yet having my own agency with how I affect it in my life that finally I feel like, okay, cool. I, I trust myself enough and I trust the medicine enough, and I'm not as afraid of the emotional pain and physical pain that I'll feel. You know, that's so great. I, I completely relate to what you're saying. I had a, a moment, uh, I believe it was in my second night this time, where I'm laying there and I'm going, what am I so afraid of? Like, <laughs> what am I so afraid of? And I'm asking myself in my head, I'm like, what am I so afraid of? What is What is there that I could possibly justify being this afraid right. for? You know, and I had this, so, you know, my eyes are closed and I'm inside of my own mind and this image drifts up to the left lower part of my frame and of my consciousness. And it's this beautiful kind of, uh, iridescent rainbow backlit, uh, mandala that kind of reminds me of a beautiful ornate clock face. It's this beautiful clock face and it's all in black, like matte black. And it's got this iridescent glow coming from behind it. And I look over at it and I'm like, what am I so afraid of? I look over and I'm like, oh, well, that's death. And I'm like, huh, am I really that afraid of death? And then this thought comes as like, I don't know. Well, do, do you need to be this afraid of death? Should you be this afraid of death? Why don't you just try it and find out if it's scary or not? And I looked over at it and it's got this big clock face. So it's got a big hole in the middle. And I'm like, well fuck it. I'm here. Let's try it. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to be fearless. Then I'm going to go straight towards all my fears. Like I've been telling myself to do my whole life. I'm like, all right, death, let's give you a try. Let's see how it is. Then fine. You've offered me the chance. Let's go for it. And so I accept that offer and allowed it to occur. And as I 
submitted and just allowed myself to rest and, and just like lay down and close my eyes and go to sleep. And that's it. Like closing the door on this existence. I'm like, just like, you know, this is the end right now. That's over and let it, let it pass and let it go and accept it and non-attached to it. Mm -hmm. Then I had this beautiful, peaceful surrender just wash over my body and I just felt this presence of oneness and this connectivity to all. And I'm like, that was it. That was it. It was all that fear of nothing for this beautiful, connected. It actually, that was one of the best feelings I've ever had in my whole life. And just reveled in how incredible I felt in that moment. And I go, huh, minutes ago, the idea of death might have been terrifying. And now I look at the idea of death as possibly the most beautiful experience we can potentially ever have. Yeah. Oh, so interesting, the fear thing. I mean, I haven't contemplated that in ceremony yet. Uh, I imagine maybe, you know, I, I don't, who knows what the path is for each person. I, my work has very much been relational in a lot of ways still, which I think is understandable given who I have been in my human life, <laughs> you know? Um, I thought a lot about my parents in the, in this three day and I really looked at them closely and that was totally beautiful and useful. And going back to the, my, so my third day, I was so exhausted and spent day two was intense as fuck. Oh my God. I can't even tell you how intense it was that, you know, purging, being silent and all of that. I mean, I, I, I got to the point where I was able, I really accessed my voice by the way, like in ceremony. Yeah. And it was the first time I had ever been in ceremony with more people. So there were six of us total. And the only other time I was in, I've only ever been in ceremony one with one other person. And so I had a, I had an awareness that there were other people there, but I definitely did not, I did not care. Uh, uh, there was no part of me that was feeling held back excuse me, it was almost like I was really exploring, my, finding my voice, but there was also that some animalistic stuff of like, oh, you know, like, Ugh. and I, like, it, I even hissed, like, and it was not like I tried. I just was like fucking getting it out. And it was, and then I was like really exploring my, my vocals, like my, you know, I said no, uh, like very firmly to things that I would say no to now that I didn't say no to in, in my past. You know what I mean? And then there were things of just me like finding what, what it was aud auditorially. And it was really intense. And so anyway, we're going into day three, I was so spent, as we mentioned earlier. I was so tired and I was so scared because I did not feel strong, right? And I've had that experience multiple times in my life and I have it, which can, tends to be a pattern for me where when I don't feel strong, 
I feel like I'm not going to be able to perform well. So there's this performative thread in my, right, wanting to perform well, equating safety and love and all those things. So I'm exhausted going into day three. And the mantra that came up for me that just helped me get through to walking up and taking my cup of medicine, I was already in it. Like I was already like tearing up, just afraid. And it was, you're safe. You're safe. Just this reassuring, you're safe, you're safe. And so I go up, I, t- I have my medicine. Don't know how I even fucking did that. <laughs> you know I mean, like there's so many moments where you just don't even know how you do it. And anyway, I'm almost done, but there was Take your time. No, please. Share thank it. you. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate yeah. it. The, as I, I laid down in my nest and normally it takes some time for the medicine to come on, but I was, I really felt like I was already connected like from maybe the previous two days or, or whatever. But I, I first, I basically thought of this story that I, New happened. This is not news to me. I might have even shared it on the podcast before. But in short, it was a time when I was visiting my dad's house. I was in my grandmother's house, who lives right next door to my dad, used to. And I always was really afraid of my dad's house because my dad is this big, scary guy. He's like really aggressive and really just can be loud and yell at you. So I, as this, I was just very scared in general to even go to my dad's house as a young girl. There's lots of different things about my dad's house that were scary to me. It was, I was the only girl and, you know, there was all the, the skydivers and the drops and there's just lots of stuff that scared me as a young, young girl. And so anyway, this particular day, it was like basically my mom and my dad had a fight because my dad was supposed to take us home because of the custody agreement or whatever. And he got really angry and basically said he wasn't going to take us home. And he was like yelling and being just really mad and upset. And then I, as this young person, I don't even know how old I was. I was terrified at the idea that I was going to have to stay at my dad's house. I was absolutely, utterly terrified that I was not going to be able to go home And so I went into my grandmother's bedroom where I think there was a phone and my grandma March, my mom's mom, she lived nearby. So I think in my young mind, I'm like, I'll just call my gram and she can come pick, pick us up. Like, so we can leave here. And I was crying. I don't even know if I was able to make the phone call. I can't, it's, it's not really in my memory, but my grandmother came in and basically caught me And I ultimately basically got in trouble for advocating for myself. I got in trouble for trying to protect myself. I got in trouble for, you know, speaking up. And so that story, even though I had known it, tying that back to some of the other things that I had gotten in my other two days, it makes, it just makes so much sense why I would struggle to advocate for myself, to speak up, to be heard in, and yeah, I've learned it in certain lanes of my life, but that type of silence persisted in other, in other lanes of my life. And so 
I got that story at the beginning of day three and it basically, I cried and then I basically rested, you know, and that was kind of the end of the ceremony for me, even though there were tons of storms and (laughs) it was kind of crazy, but, um, but yeah, anyway, that was a powerful thing. But one of those things that on day three tied the rest of the stuff together in a really sort of obvious, but real way. Well, thank you for that share. That's that's very powerful. I can really see how that would have such a lifetime of effect. I mean, as soon as you shared that, I immediately was able to dig in deeper to some of my pieces where I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I understand that because this I had this similar thing happen with me. <laughs> yes. You know, you know I think that's kind of the whole point of our program. Yeah. You know, um, I, I'm going to share this. It's going to take us a little bit over time, but that's I think okay. that's okay. Yeah, no, um, it's all good. All good with me. So one of the things that I've come to understand about myself is uh, uh, for those of you who don't know already, I lost both of my parents as a child. My father died first when I was nine and then my mother died second when I was 12. So my father also left our family at when I was three years old. So I was raised by a single mother. And what that meant was my mother's affections, my mother's love was something that I received, of course, unconditionally, but I also received it when I wanted it based on doing things that made my mother approve, right? So if I, my mom has a list of things she wanted me to be, that was polite, that was well-spoken, that was to, you know, do my homework or to, you know, ride my bicycle or to sit up straight in my chair or whatever the things were, the list of things that my mom wanted me to do. I knew if I did those, that she would be approving. And by her being approving of that, she would then express that approval through affection, through love, through saying, oh, good job, Jay. Good job, young boy, Jay. You know, I love you. Good job. And so I would receive that affirmation of self through this beautiful, loving female entity, which was my mother. And when my mother died and I no longer had a source for that female approval, that source of love, something that somebody who was going to be that energy for me, I started looking for it in other places. The next place that it occurred in my life was in a relationship with an older woman when I was a young adolescent. Uh, it was probably inappropriate, at least according to the law, it was definitely inappropriate. And so I had a sexual relationship with an older woman when I was a young teenager. And it was a, for me, it was incredibly fulfilling because at the time, as a young male, yeah, I'm looking for sexual in- engagement of any kind because my body's just raging off into hormone land. But <laughs> right. at the same time, I'm just a boy mm-hmm. who's looking for any kind of female affirmation of self that can say, hey, if I perform well, will you then give me approvals and say, good job, Jay? You mm-hmm. know, And so by performing sexually at a young age for an older woman, I got this same thing. And what ended up happening in this big mess was that I got confused between what is love and what is sex and how do I actually value myself? I was never taught skills as a child to say, this is how you value yourself. These are the things that you do in your life as a person that you then look back on and say, you did a good job. You deserve love because of who you are. And 
the way the things that you do or you you have value simply as you are you don't need to meet a standard of approval none of these things have to happen i was dependent upon this performance approval appreciation affection this loop had to occur so for the rest of my life since then i've been seeking to impress women sexually to at least for them to desire me sexually so that then I can feel this mm -hmm. approval of the affection of women so that I can feel desirable so that I can feel like I have a value. And this whole thing is just such a big mess because that how I value myself has nothing to do with what somebody else thinks, first of all, or how well I'm desired sexually or whether somebody else you know, like that whole thing has nothing to do with the person that I am. Mm -hmm. And the psychedelic experience, both with psilocybin and ayahuasca, has been slowly unraveling these pieces for me and untying them. And I'm able to go and see the piece by piece. And just most recently, relating this profound, the reason why I became a high performance competitive athlete. It's because I need to perform in order to justify my value as a person. Mm -hmm. If I can do a really good job, if I can be a high performer and I can do this thing that nobody else can do, then I can feel validated that I have a reason to be here and deserving of love. Yep. What a mess. Yep. Right? Thank you, Jay. It's so, it's, it's such a common story. Yeah, it's everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and yeah. I and I'd say that in support and love of you. It's like we all have versions of that. It's fascinating how the more stories that you hear, and that's why listening to others and being in work with other people and being in on listening to a show like this, just hearing, listening to other shows that that share deeply and all of those things, we we hear countless stories that mirror our own such that we can actually go, oh, I'm not the biggest fucking loser on the planet, fucking it up the most royally of everyone on the planet earth, right? Which is where our brains tend to go when we don't have, yeah, <laughs> when we don't have those stories to support us. And this, I've said this before too, but my life coaching clients, I've, I'm, I feel so lucky that I'm honored I, I feel like such an honor to hear their stories. And I don't think my clients really understand how much they're sharing with me and, and they're trusting of me to be really, truly vulnerable. It helps me. It, it so supports me to continue to grow and heal myself. And so do, so do you and your sharing, Jay. And so does everyone else that I, I'm lucky enough to connect with in that kind of way. Well, mirror, mirror, the feeling is absolutely mutual, Melanie. Yeah. And I appreciate you so much for going into this topic and I'll just make a little openness with the audience here that when I put this topic on the table for Melanie and I to talk about her immediate reaction was apprehension. Yeah. Do I want to do this or not? Am yeah. I comfortable with this idea or not? You know, and it's not something that's easy for anybody to talk about ourselves, especially in a public forum to share deeply, to go into the spaces of like the things we're most afraid of. So yeah. I want to thank you, Melanie, for doing so. And, yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. And just to speak to that apprehension, it's not that, uh, it's not based in any, uh, it's, I, I believe deeply that sharing is is of value to other people. It's more that I also believe and stand for my boundary of where and when that sharing feels right and best to me. I've never been one to rush. 
uh, in this type of way. And so that's the only reason why there was apprehension was, and why I also uh, talked about it at the beginning of my sharing was like, I'm not going to share certain stuff, but that's why. So when you posed it to me, I was like, let me think about it. And let me think if there's enough there for me to be able, that I would feel comfortable sharing about, you know what I mean? Publicly right now. And that's the thing is like, I imagine I'll get to the point where I will share all these things publicly because I believe deeply in that sharing. But I also believe that it's important to really take your time and only share from the wound or from the, from the scar, from the healed place, right? You don't like, I really believe deeply about that. Don't share from the wound, share from the scar. And that's of service. And I can, I, I will affirm that and i will say to our audience with complete clarity that there are things within myself that i'm currently working on that are not scars they are wounds totally they are things that i am currently engaged in healing and i do not speak about them on this show because they're not ready to be spoken about absolutely that me too and that's the that's where that response came from and i think it's important i'm glad you brought it up because i think it's important to speak to that so that people don't listen to us and go wow mel and jay just they'll just share whatever the everything fuck no no you need those trusted spaces my my coaches the facilitators those are and all of the people that we talk about those places are where we do a lot of the integration and healing post ceremony because that's the thing ceremony is is useless if we do not integrate in in my personal view yeah absolutely not useless but you know what i mean integration yeah, integration is, is the key yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well on that note gosh everyone thank you again for being here thank you for listening to us again if you get value from what we're talking about feel free to share it with someone you think it might help. You know, it doesn't have to be a public share and post it on your Facebook feed. You can do that if you want. Uh, but more, it, we believe in that intimate sharing. You know, if you if someone came to mind when you were listening today and you feel like they would really benefit or just, hey, this made me think of you, that can be a really beautiful connecting share. So we encourage people to do that for both the person you're sharing with for you and for us. So yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. And uh, another way that helps spread our voice is when you do subscribe and when you do like, and when you do make comments on any of our feeds, it does get a greater spread and it goes to a bigger audience. That's how the algorithms work. So if you follow us on Spotify, if you follow us on Instagram, if you follow us on our email on our website all those things it does make a difference and if you want to help support our show by becoming a donator through patreon that helps out a lot it really does help us to be able to continue to bring this show to you on a regular basis and to improve its quality so we'd like to invite you to go to trustthejourney.today roll scroll down find the red button that says donate on patreon donate at any amount that you like and please that will that will get you an invitation to join us in the private face um trust the journey family where we have a nice sacred safe space which i continue to be so just warmed by on a weekly basis so thank you to everybody who is a member of the trust the journey family for your support financially and for your investment into the group for helping to create that with for everybody We love you. <laughs> yeah. Till next time. Zoom freeze there. 
Till next time, Kim, thank you for editing. Thank you for being a part of our team. We love you all so much. And yeah, see you next time. Keep laughing. Keep loving. Keep trusting the journey. Ain't it the truth. (laughs) 